This is your girl Shakina and I'm with my girl Shar and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome back to season two of Black Woman Reborn Tribe. Elections, politics, community, what's next? Tribe, we want to welcome back Deshauna Bernard and Shannon Reed from season one, episodes five and six, The Black Woman and Her Vote. We're going to let you guys reintroduce yourselves. We will start with Deshauna. Deshauna, introduce yourself to the tribe. Hi, ladies. I'm glad to be back, tribe. My name is Deshauna Bernard. I am currently serving as the Director of Political Partners at Hustle. I am Caribbean American. I am a Black immigrant woman. I work in politics and I serve in politics. People first always. So glad to be back. Glad to have you, Deshauna. Shannon. What's up, Tribe? It's Shannon Reese, Executive Director for Atlanta Jobs with Justice. Definitely excited to be rejoining you all on the show. All things freedom, liberation. I am a Black lesbian woman. I'm excited for us to make sure that all of our people rise and win. We are so excited, Shar and I, to have you guys back. Shara, Deshauna, Shannon, three months after the election, almost a month after the inauguration, as a Democrat progressive, we want to know, did we really win? So we won, but did we really win, y'all? What's y'all take on that? And whoever wants to go first, just jump in. Go on, you got it, girl. Go on, girl. (laughs) Uh, I'm dead. Okay, so, you know, I said that I'm excited for what this means. I think we are, we have won in theory, right? I think in theory, we have come out of a fight that has been going on, I would say, since 2016. I don't know how other people feel, but I feel like for me personally, I've been at this since coming off the Hillary Clinton campaign in 16, and we had Donald Trump as the occupant of the White House. So I think that we have won to breed a sigh of relief. But the work is far from over. You know, we saw what happened on just most recently on Capitol Hill with the insurrection that occurred with the marches over the summer with George Floyd. And so many other things, you know, remind us that this is just the beginning of what I think is going to be a war until we're back at the polls in 2022 and back again in 2024. So for me, I think we've won in theory. I think we deserve to take a break. I think we deserve to breathe give ourselves a pat on the back, but practically it's time to get back to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, what did we really win? So, you know, I think our competition is with ourselves. So we get to decide what is victory. Each one of these steps that like, how do we feel about the power that we flexed within this time frame? And I feel real good about who decided it was time to be politically active of our community, right? That like black women, what we know is that you know, people want to do this like, oh, it's a demographic shift and like all of these things. And I just like on our first show, I like to remind us that like half of Georgia was black when the Civil War broke out. That this is, again, a reminder of what does it mean to really be pulling the foot of white supremacy off our neck? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? That means that you have an opportunity for black women to have resources and leadership to dictate and define the campaigns, the efforts. And that's all victory. Right. So like the, what is the competition within ourself? What is the measure and the standard that we're rising for ourselves? How much power agency do we have over these moments? I'm proud of a lot of Black women right now and what we did, but we will not view that without the context of what the United States of America is and the long breath history of what does it mean for Black people to fully win in this country and to fully you know, be in a place of self-determination and we are on our way, but we have a whole lot of steps ahead of us. And I think that how we position, I'm excited for this conversation today because what we do with ourselves Mm -hmm. over the next five years is going to be critical about if any of that wonderful Black woman labor that just went down in 2020 is going to be in vain or if it's going to truly be honored by the actions that our community steps into. I like how you framed that, Shannon, because as you spoke, I thought about how do we actually define winning? And of course, we know it's not a full win. Like we have a long road when we get to that full win, just victory moment. But just celebrating this small win and the win in the sense that 
we went through a process over the past four years before that, but specifically leading up to the election, especially Black women, as we've talked about in the Black woman and her vote, we always come and save democracy. Like, this is nothing new. We're not new to this, right? So thinking about the outcome of, like you said, the labor that Black women put into the election, even when other minorities fail to put in that same amount of labor, even though they benefited from our labor, that is a win. And I fully agree with that. I think we should just go right into that conversation about the labor that Black women put into the election. Let's go right into it. 2020, Black women, the election. What is the impact and influence that Black women really had on the 2020 election? I don't think there's no value to that. I don't think there's a definer in what we can say that amounted to. I think the results, Shannon like made the case like really well as to how we can take a look at this. Like we're so proud of the people that showed up and voted for the first time, the people that, you know, had enough and, you know, that power that we saw building in the streets and how it translated to the polls, right? Behind so many movements that went beyond just this election, right? So I'm not sure there's really a way to define what that means. I would rather say, you know, it's time to pay up. And what does this current administration now owe Black people and like Black women? I think we've seen some kind of nods in that direction with, you know, the pick of Senator Kamala Harris with Black women saying that we are, it's time for a Black woman VP because it was far too long and there's never been one. A woman VP, far less a woman of color. So I think with having that, there was like a subtle sense of, I guess, a win, right? We can place that as a W in that category as well by achieving that, you know, Black women push, they demanded it. They wrote open letters, petitions, there were articles, there was discussions, and then she did get the nod to be his running me and did an exceptional job throughout the race until November. And then we had this moment as Black women to, you know, celebrate collectively when she was sworn into office, right? Then you have, you know, what happened in Georgia. You know, a lot of people praised Stacey Abrams and she was like one of the first to kind of attribute that so many other Black women and organizers came before her to build the bench in Georgia to what people was able to witness that happened here fast forward in 2020. So there are so many places and even in these battlegrounds, states. Like when you go into Wisconsin, right? When you look at Milwaukee, like those are areas where, you know, I used to kind of chuckle when I would see the media kind of playing up, you know, the white moderate and, you know, the importance of getting that vote and the importance of presenting where you can get the Republicans that were like leaning and getting them on. But it was Black people. It was, it was, it was people of color that continuously came through in all of these states showing up in significant ways and organizing so differently, right? So to say, you know, what that means, I don't know if there will ever be enough words. I'm personally always still in awe just thinking about it. And I'm just excited to see now that it's almost like now that we have your attention, how are you going to invest to ensure that we can show up and continue to do the work that we know Black women were always capable of doing and organizing their homes and watching how that translates into their community and now seeing how that has now manifested across the country. Right. And I think you answered that. I guess where I was going with it is not just trying to put a value on it, but like really talking about the true impact and influence. But you answered the question because the impact and influence was there were people behind the scenes doing the work to get Kamala nominated. You know, people just think, oh, Joe Biden just magically just picked Kamala. No, there was work behind that. Yes. From Black yes. women, from Black people, right? That's the impact and influence of the work that we're doing behind the scenes that a lot of times people don't even know about. That we continue to do, you know, behind the scenes that people don't know about. That labor, right? I would say Shana wants to jump in, but yes, Shara, absolutely. There was a whole community of women that, you know, I think even the, the I, will, I will give a nod to Win With Black Women, who was organized by Jotega Edie. She sent an email and started, you know, an email chain saying like, okay, this VP conversation has gotten a little bit interesting. It seems to kind of dismiss the Black women that are being considered and we need to organize and we need to organize quickly. And I think you did see that, you know, what was a behind the scenes email came like a national call for him paying attention to the Black women that should be considered to be his running mate. With that being said, do you think with her being the pick, do you think colorism played a role in that? Was it easier? Was it safer for him to pick her over a Stacey Abrams or even Keisha Lance Bottoms or, you know, let's talk about that when we talk about that. 
Come on, Shannon. I see you. I asked y'all if I can make faces. <laughs> okay. Are you gonna go? Are you gonna take the first round on that one, Shannon? <laughs> you should just know that we see each other. You don't see us, but we see each other. So we see all the faces, we see all the smirk. So just know <laughs> it's about to get real. <laughs> Yo, so Shakina, of course, like colorism, racism, sexism. They're at play in everything that's going on. So we're never going to act like that's not a piece of the consideration in the pieces. And I also want us, this is where I really am always, you know, we have to be great students of this system that we are occupying, reside in, and now trying to figure out how to govern. And so with that, I ask us, you know, colorism, sex, like all of the things aside, how many Black women are in the Senate? Okay. Zero. She was the only one that when it comes to the systematic accession of power, right? You, you, you're not going to pick a, a Keisha Lance Bottoms over a Black woman who's been residing in the Senate and has had to win a state like California. Keisha Lance Bottoms has never talked to the number of people who have already voted for Kamala Harris in the state of California. This is a systematic understanding. This okay. is, you know, that like all of the isms and stuff are most certainly present. But at the end of the day, in the accession of power within this country, it was just the pick that made that type of sense. That is enough institutionalized and part of the guard that they can have, you know, the type of engagements that they need for someone who would be vice president of the United States of America, right? And people like, and we, you know, as the base of people who are picking our leadership, we shouldn't look for a person like Akeisha Lance Bottoms to step from mayor of Atlanta to the vice presidency of the United States of America. That for me, we have to be, if anything, in this last four years, I want us to really examine what we consider the characteristics, markers, and traits of leadership that lots of people think they want to run for office and govern, right? But it is about experience. And we, we said we were going to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it in. But Abram said it's about wanting the job, right? Yeah. She said she didn't want the job of VP. That wasn't the job that she was setting out to do with her life. We know that she said, I want to be governor of the state of Georgia. She said that since she was 19 years old, that is that woman's self-determination, her ambition, which she has declared. And do we just get behind the declaration that leaders make for themselves? Be my question, right? So like, I'm not a Kamala fan. I was on the like, I'm the cop. You know, like I was in that camp. So, you know, when this pick came through, you know, I had to like make some black woman decisions about how I was going to position and whether or not I was going to be part of the energy of the country that would be looking to tear down a black woman or would I be what I know I need as a black woman? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those those were the decisions that we had to make, you know, about these picks and who was going to be in this. And we're here and I think we need to understand that we better kind of pray that Joe stays alive because they mo mad about that little black girl. Mm-hmm. Come on. They we are. About him. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just saw the article. I think I just saw where Republicans are already talking about, you know, impeaching her. And I was like, wow. We're planning to do this in advance. <laughs> okay. And no this thing. is the fact that they would even try to compare mm-hmm. her comments during the summer of 2020 to what Trump did that resulted in January 6th. But Black people have always been held to a different and higher standard of the majority. And, you know, that's what bothers me. But going back to what Shannon has said, what I respect most about Stacey Abrams and what you talked about her just knowing where she wants to be because sometimes so often we can be talked to and pumped up by people to move in a direction that we know that that's not where we want to be. So I congratulate her. I applaud her. I thank her for knowing who she is, where she wants to be and sticking to that because so many times again, we're just moved you know, based on what the majority wants us to do. So congratulations and kudos to her for being true to herself, which is a big part of self-care, self-love, because if she gets into a position that she's not happy where she knew she didn't want to be anyway, then where would that have resulted? 
Yeah. And I'm just so thankful for her and so many other Black women that played a part in this whole thing because they really showed us we've been taught that Black people are the minority for so long. When ultimately, looking at 2020, we are the majority, but we have been just sitting in the background allowing other cultures, other races to run our lives. Well, I won't say we get back. Hey, I'm going to say... Not all of us. What I want to be on on this is the, like, yes, it is a reverse migration of Black people like myself, whose family was from Georgia. My grandfather was born in Georgia. They left in the 20s, moved north for the jobs. I didn't came back. It is this reverse migration that is the demographic shift that is making so much available. But we just cannot forget that there has been this white supremacy oppression that has Mm -hmm. guaranteeing we did not have political power. Right. And I'm not taking away from that at all. So like everybody keep doing is where's my Stacey Abrams, right? Like Ohio won't they Abrams, right? Ohio, you are 13% black on your best day. Okay. You ain't going to never do what Georgia did. And that's what you fucking need to understand for real. Like, I'm sorry. Some of us need to look at the numbers and understand what does it mean to have political power. So I'm not saying don't work for your voice in a place like Ohio. But I will tell you, if you want political power in the next 10 to 15 years, it's time to come south. This is a recruit home, baby. That if we want Black political power in this country right now, we have to understand where we actually have opportunities to Mm. get it, have it executed live in what our values are. California, that's cute. We got fun stuff out there, but we have, what percentage? You understand? Texas is the next one on the precipice of what we're talking about, right? They've got a demographic landing that enables these places that we are at a particular ratio. We have to reinvest ourselves into the fact that there's enough knee off our neck that if we flex right now, we have an opportunity to go, right? I don't want my Ohio Black brothers and sisters to be sitting up thinking that they are waiting on Nina Turner to act like Abrams. Nina mm-hmm. Turner cannot be an Abrams in Ohio. So don't mm-hmm. do this comparative, we're looking for our Abrams thing. You need to understand what is possible for Black politics in your area, in your region, and go hard for that. But don't set your numbers up to a Georgia win, right? But come mm-hmm. to Georgia if you want. That's what I <laughs> And I was right. about to say, come to Georgia. And what, so two things I want to add to that. You're absolutely right, Sean. And I think the other thing that people also miss is that it took years. A lot of people are looking at this and, you know, this microwavable instant gratification type of cycle that we're in is like, oh, yeah, we're going to invest X dollars and, you know, automatically people are going to turn up, people are going to show up or we're going to have this magnitude of a blue wave. And it takes work to build a bench, to be able to be strategic, to shift people right in the right seats in your state house and in your city council and all of these things to build power over time and push for policies that you then need to allow that to happen, particularly in states where voting rights, right? Suppression is a whole other beast. The second thing I would say is I feel you on kind of saluting Stacey for knowing her lane and staying in her lane and making it clear what she wanted to become. And that is the next governor of Georgia. Obviously, she has not officially announced anything, but I do want to say on this podcast, I just hope people keep the same energy. Yes. The same energy that we had for a 2020 presidential race because we wanted Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to occupy the White House and build back better or whatever the slogan was to get us back on track as a nation. I need them to remember that when Stacey's governor's race is up and when your Nina Turner runs and when whoever it is in your state is running, people need to keep that same energy and particularly keep that energy for Black women candidates. I want to come back on demographic pump too, y'all. Like, even though we are 13%, 10%, 9% in these places, we need to remember that we have the power to govern. So if you want to lead, Okay, if leadership and governing is what is on your heart, do not let any of those numbers stop you, because what we have to do right now is govern based on value. Okay, that like we need a true human rights movement right now, because the energy of the people who were stopped the steal, they have started stop the Stacey. And the only thing that Mm -hmm. I know that beats back a stop the Stacey, which is a fascist, bigoted movement, is a movement of human rights. Does this make sense? I don't know how to fight Completely. better than with the human rights framework. So leadership and the ability to combat, because we are still in this like precipice of civil war kind of nonsense that they're going to try and take down Kemp, which means Kemp probably won't be her opponent. It will be something worse than Kemp yeah. that will be 
be Abrams' opponent if Abrams is the person running, right? There's so much preparation. Oh, Another thing I want us to remember about this Abrams Georgia thing. All of the actors who were at work and in play in Georgia did not like each other. They did not meet with each other. They did not talk to each other all the time. I consider myself one of these Black women. I definitely put more than 230,000 voter engagements on the board just in the runoff election. You ain't gonna hear my name. I'm not in the Black woman, but I don't care about that. I cared about my numbers. And that is my advocacy to everyone. Care about your numbers. Decide what your impact is. Even if there is a Stacey in your state and you don't run with a crew, know what impact you want to have and do it. And that's really what the Black women of Georgia did. Everyone grabbed their lane, did their job, picked their swath, whether they were liking each other, kikiing with each other or not. Some women were definitely in those groups and cliques together, but there were a lot of us that just knew it was work to get done. Yeah. I just want folks to like, don't stress too much about who or what's moving in your state. Stress about what you're going to invest into the conversation. Right. All right, so I want to kind of walk us back just a little bit because I think we talked about a lot. Like, Shannon, you talked about the remigration to the South. We talked about keeping the same energy when we move into midterm into these state, county, city elections. So it's Black History Month, as we know. If we were on the outside looking in, you know, us, four Black women, looking at Black America, looking at Black women as a whole, how would we describe the state of Black America now? Right. Everything we just experienced, where we have this generating this excitement, like, oh, we put in work, we won an election, you know, loosely based, how we define a win. But where are we now? February 2021 in Black History Month, coming out of a year of George Floyd, coming out of all these major companies, all of a sudden realize that we exist. Like, where is Black America now? I'm sorry, y'all. Like, this is where we need to, like, play some funeral music or some shit because it's bleak out here. So like, I'm going to give you this stat. They said in LA County, 85% of all Black workers filed for unemployment in 2020. Y'all hear that? 85% of every Black person that works in LA County lost a job for some period in 2020. In the state of Georgia, around the metro area, we were sitting at 34, 40% documented unemployment, which is on top of what we already knew had like 20% undocumented unemployment. So I just need us as Black folks, if you kept your job, you know what I'm saying, during this year and you were able to work from home, but you got cousins banging your phone down for money and shit right now, bae, I need you to know that, yeah, they might have been trashed before the pandemic, but the pandemic just threw them in a dumpster. And we as Black folks, we know that we get the phone call when the government's got the gaps. So I need us as community to really have some more compassion for each other and like where we are in our economic realities and shit. Some of us are okay, but a whole lot of us are in a deep, massive recovery. And there was already such crazy inequality. And you add on top of that, our birth rates were going down. Our death rate just went through the fucking roof. Like when I tell you we are in a crisis that we can still be on our max iPads and Zooms and shit and have fun. Like, but we, our cognitive dissonance of the collective pain of blackness in this country, we got to break that up this year. Like we got to mostly be careful because we really will just be choking each other out with the level of stress that all of these things are. And that's what I don't. Yeah, to expand on that, I think... We knew all of these things exist, right? Inequality, people have been fighting for this for like a long time, but the pandemic has allowed for us to see this in a different way. So for me, I understand that I'm looking at this within the lens of an immigrant, not being born here in the U.S. So I am always looking at the U.S. from the outside. I'm forced to do that because I have friends and family members that are impacted daily on U.S. policy, be it from immigration to other things. So I'm in this hybrid space where, you know, my lived experience is here as an immigrant in the U.S., but then from time to time, I have those conversations even with other Caribbean Americans or Africans or Latinx brothers and sisters where we talk about, talk about like, you know, when we have conversations with family and friends that are looking over at America being like, okay, what's going on? Are you sure this is where you want to be? Is this truly the American dream? And it's not for Black people. COVID debts, 
like you talked about, you know, income, the economy, you talked about the debt and all that that's going up, but even that, like your life, the majority, the biggest ethnic groups that are being impacted by this pandemic who are dying, and then also even the rollout of the vaccines with accessibility to the vaccines is us, is Black people, right? We are dying at significant rates, much more than white people. The next community of color would be Latinx community, but people of color are dying at extreme rates. And then now that the vaccines are getting ruled out, we're also looking at where, how, who is getting access to it. So when you really sit and you, you know, look at Black History Month and then you see a president, a former president, um, get acquitted for what happened on Capitol Hill during Black History Month, because that's the other thing. I was like, the fact that white supremacy is being uplifted and acknowledged and getting a pass and a nod at the highest level of government in a nation. If you needed to be clear on where we are on race and equality, that just this made it so crystal clear. So, you know, saying all of that to say we're so far from where we should be. And I think the pandemic, to be honest, has, you know, I don't think it's fair, but it has definitely got me anxious thinking about the people that, you know, the numbers that Shannon just said and the people who are living this ongoing nightmare for now what's going to be over a year that look like us. Yeah, I think when, you know, what stood out to me and what you just said, Shannon, is the whole having compassion for your brothers and sisters because I think we think about it, I'm seeing less and less of that. I think it would be interesting to go back during these similar critical and crisis times and moments in American history to see how it widened the gap between our people, right? The haves and the have not in the Black community. Because I see that now. Like, I'm a single mom. Yes, that's a struggle. But I'm also a mom who makes pretty good money on my own. So my kids have the iPads, the multiple laptops. They're on their computers with no problem in their virtual classrooms. But I also know students who go to my daughter's same school who we've had to donate money to, right? Black families who we've literally had to donate money to have breakfast and lunch for their kids. And I think systemic racism and the structure of the society is working as is and as intended. And we see that in COVID. But we may have also seen that during the Great Depression and all these other moments as well. Um, so I think, you know, I don't know, if Shannon, I know you know a lot more history than I do. But I think, you know, we take a stroll back through history. It will be very, very similar. And I think if we're talking about how do we actually get to the point where we go beyond these moments where we are collective and we feel unified and we're out there protesting and we have our flags and we're wearing the same colors and we're chanting the same things to actually building a movement. I think that's one of the reasons why we aren't there yet is simply compassion. I mean, I also would say, you know, that reparations bill is in and it's like now is a real good, good time, right? That like... <laughs> the slide we just hit backwards, right, demands a recovery in and of itself, but we can demand that recovery plus the inequality gap that has been created through hundreds of years um, be addressed. And I do, you know, I think the spigot of the American treasury is only open for a little bit of time before them other fools that like to spend all the money when it's on them and not on anybody else. When they start really complaining about this deficit, and this deficit is a problem. I don't, I'm not one of these folks that um, doesn't think we're not in a financial problem as a country. We have a problem. Like he spent way too much fucking money and gave away a whole lot of money. So then we're going to go spend the money that we want to spend on top of it. And we're still just in a problem. So I just need us to all know that, but I don't want us to let them blame the entire problem on us. I want us to go get our coins, right? Go get these programs, go get the things that we need excessively right now. Like um, this time that we're having this podcast when it airs is a great time for you to be reaching out to all of your senators, all of your Congress people. The markups are happening on that $1.9 trillion. The way that those programs and stuff come down, who's going to have control of those, those programs in your communities. These are where we're going to move resources right now for our folks, but it's coming down. You need to really, really, really be on your power holders right now, because I think they're going to turn the spigot back off <laughs> at some point soon. So, you know, make your demands. This and now, this and now. And, and, oh, the other thing I wanted to tell you, hey, let's normalize Black women leading everyone. Like, we don't just lead ourselves, 
right? I'm not in to govern Black people. I'm in this to govern a society that provides human rights to all people. people. And that's the reason you want to let Black people lead regardless, because we've never fought for just ourselves. Mm. Always for the whole of humanity. When we win, what we're demanding, all the white kids get it too. They get it too. We ain't never said, don't give it to them, no. (laughs) That ain't never been our fight. That's what they do. Don't do that. I want to reiterate on what Shannon said to the tribe. That was an ask. That was a call to action. This is not just a tribe meeting that you will not take back to your community. She said, call your senator. Call your representative. Know what's on the table and get involved because the time is now. It's not tomorrow. Last year was last year. That was that moment. This is this year. This is this moment. And we cannot live in the past. We have to live in the present and in the future. So tribe again. Hear her ask, Shannon, what's the ask? And make sure you guys comment that you guys have accomplished the ask and the task. Yeah, I'm going to even make it easy for you. Go to openstates.org and you can type in your address and tell you who all your electeds are on the state level and the federal. And I'm sending you to open states because I really want you to know who your state elected officials are because Georgia did its job and the feds is on deck. You feel me? So the feds is going to turn the spigot and it's going to flow to all of y'all everywhere. But you need to know who your state people are. Exactly. Okay. The fed part is kind of handled. They're going to fight. They're going to do their thing up there. But y'all live in Republican states that's going to want to put these resources in stupid places. So that's why go to openstates.org. Make sure you know who your state representatives and what your state bills are doing, because that's where you know if the money is going to the wrong neighborhood or the right neighborhood. <laughs> and I'll add, this is where you also go back and listen to the podcast on Black Women Vote, because I'm sure both Shannon and I talked about why all politics is local and why it's important to vote up and down the ticket. Thank you. Thank you both for that. All right, y'all. So let's talk about, you guys kind of brought things up in that last little session. We talked about unemployment. We talked about birth rates, death rates, COVID numbers. So we hear a lot of people talking about the Black agenda and people just throwing that phrase around like tacos, okay? So, or a fried chicken. I don't know what's more appropriate for this uh, podcast. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, when it comes to the Black agenda, what should the issues that we as a Black community, specifically Black women, focus on? Because everybody's focusing on $1,400 right now. (laughs) What should we really be focusing on in order to get beyond these moments into movement, in order to like affect real change Five, five years from now. I have to agree with her because I think that we're in a complex time and to start dissecting where we should start or even begin because there is so much need. And who am I? Who is Shannon? Who are us to say, okay, this is what should be priority on the agenda where for a Black woman, it might be maternal health or for someone else, it might be student loan debt. So it all looks so different for based on what we need. So maybe reparations is where we begin. And that's why we start. I also think like this Black agenda, I think a lot of campaigns put out agendas that they would incorporate under their administration. So now that we have Joe Biden as president, that we need to revisit what his agenda was. I know his agenda was called Lift Every Voice and Sing. And there were a number of things for the people listening. People are doing faces and this is why I'm now like struggling. (laughs) But there are a number of things that were included in the plan that will be good for Black people in America. I also gave a nod to the fact that in Joe Biden's Black agenda, he incorporated the the Black diaspora, which I personally, obviously, as a Black immigrant, I was like, okay, okay, Joe, I see you and I'm here for it. And I think he's starting to um, be deliberate about, you know, recognizing that things are due and putting things in place. I think he had to do a lot of the executive orders to reverse some of the harm that President Trump has done to our community. And now that the hearings are over on impeachment, I feel like he's now starting his first 100 days. So I'm in a place where I'm just going to sit back to see, okay, what does the agenda mean as far as what's going to be rolled out from an administrative level when we talk about governing and how we're going to be governed? And then it will give us something that we can respond to. But as far as what's happening right now, like Shannon pointed out, reparation. So maybe do we all collectively get behind that? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think what is it, HR3 or something? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess up the bill number. And that's not black power of me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, look at the reparations bill. 
right? For whatever anyone has ever thought about reparations in the past, I think right now is a good time for everybody to do a good re-up on your history about reparations, re-up on what it is looking like contemporarily about reparations, because it's not, you know, we grew up with so many jokes about checks for Cadillacs and stupid shit that I just think that most of us need a deeper policy study about what reparations looks like. And that's everybody that can hear the sound of my voice can tell you what neighborhood is the black neighborhood in your community? Like, it's not a fucking question. Like, it's not, you know, like, oh, well, we don't know where the blacks are. That's not the truth, right? That like all of us can do this down to a zip code level. We know where investment needs to happen. This is about black experience in the country. There's indicators. Like, this thing can be what we need it to be, but we need to engage and we need to be clear about what we need. And we really need to not try and hold ourselves down about it, as I've experienced us to do around reparations in the past. Folks want to get into the A-dose. Is it about diasporic reparations or is it about enslaved here reparations? I think we need to just get in the room and hash this shit out and push this conversation as far as we can in this time. And yeah, but I think- Let's not do it on Clubhouse. <laughs> I haven't on there yet. <laughs> I'm not. I'm refusing to. I'm not on Clubhouse yet. Don't get in the room. Let's not do it on Clubhouse. Let's just put that disclaimer <laughs> You know, but no, on, that, on that note, I do think that while the country's trying to go into a civil war again and like white supremacy is really trying to figure out if it can put us back into Jim Crow for real and Handmaid's Tale shit for real, that our understanding of governance and government and why we need it and want it and what we want that structure to look like, I think is going to be super critical in how we actually fight this thing that most of the country has just pretty much forgotten what democracy actually means and is, right? And that's why 75 million people would like vote for this dude. Yeah. The concept of governance and democracy and what systems we live in and what are our values for those systems. Like, we've got to be citizens for real over the next. You don't have to look at all of that stuff and decide that you like democracy. What I need you to do is look at it and decide what type of government and governance you really want. Because if we are successful in putting down their last stand, we are governing and we need to be ready. Does that make sense? That currently 43 senators can still do this because they are still governing. Yeah. But put this one down if we are successful. Because I'm betting on us putting it down this time. I'm not betting on they putting Reconstruction down again, right? Because that's what this is. This is our generation living an attempt to put down Reconstruction. There's been another black man senator of Georgia. It's time for us to put the Reconstruction effort back down. You understand? That's what happened last time. A black man got elected senator of Georgia and they put the Reconstruction down. Okay? (laughs) So we're in that time for our lives and we're going to be the generation that says, no, sir, we're not implementing Jim Crow because you don't want to have Reconstruction. We're the generation that's going to say, no, people of color are going to govern this new democratic experiment, period. That there's no more white only governance for this democratic experiment. Does that make sense? So our understanding of the governmental system we truly want to be living in, not just accepting the democracy that we've been trying to attain some power in, Mm -hmm. but our study of our citizenship, of government, of structures, of leadership is critical over the next five years. So I'm really excited to have room, space, conversations, opportunities for we Black people to dig in about systems of government esoterically and decide how we're gonna transform this so-called democracy when we win because I'm betting on us putting this dog down. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me. I have so many questions. For letting me talk my shit. Thank you. (laughs) I have so many questions, but Shannon hit them all. Thank you. Check, 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 check. So I think we did cover a lot. I kind of want us to move into these final couple of moments to be very clear about where we need to be and tangible ways. I know we've kind of brought a lot of that out in the episode already. I think I've been in conversations, right? And I'll throw this out there to see how you guys react to it, where people say, and these are older Black folk, we will never get anywhere as a people because we can't stick together. We don't unify or worth nothing. They get places because they stick together. Oh, the, the, the Latinos, they stick together. They're unified. But when it comes to us, we're not going to get it. You know, I've been in rooms where I've heard that. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is something that, you know, Sharon, I'll ask you, like, I see nodding, so I don't know if it's something that you agree with. <laughs> I don't know if it's something that you feel like, you know, we holding ourselves back. 
in those conversations. You know, like we always want black people to be superhuman. You know what I'm saying? Like on all aspects. Like we're not allowed to be like every other fucking human on earth that has like regular human communication issues, regular fucking like conflict management issues that like there's not a black country, an Asian folks country. That, like every group of people is in a constant push and pull of who holds power, when, where, how, why, and what are we using that power to do? And I just give us the grace of our own humanity and we have conflict and we are figuring it out that black ram nations are not going to be without conflict. My question is, how do you do that conflict? My question is, are we going to be violent in our chokeouts? Are we going to figure out how to hug and love it out? Which way are we going with the conflict? And I want to say like, you know, I'm still going to bet on us anyway with how we handle the conflict because what I'm most excited about with our generation, you know, so yes, those conversations has happened in generations before and they still do come up now. But I feel like we're holding each other accountable differently in a lot of ways. Like I think we call things out differently or, you know, call people in when we we do need to have these offline discussions, right? I think even Shannon, you talked about like the way that, uh, people kind of figured out, okay, this is the lane I'm going to ac- occupy it. I'm going to stay in this lane, even in Georgia. And then once you occupy that lane, homegirl over there, homeboy over there understood who occupied that lane, who owned that lane, and therefore things were able to get done because collectively we all want to win. So for me, even in that comment, I'm excited about what we're going to do together because I just think our generation has a different, I don't want to say a different level of accountability, but I think we have unlocked a new way in holding people's feet to the fire and having the conversations that need to happen to move us forward. Because we realize now that the stakes are too high to even get trapped into the same things and get trapped into the same cycle of mistakes that has happened before. The stakes are just too high. And we also have this very rare window. Like Shannon keeps talking about that. Remember I talked about like, I just feel like this sense of like anxiety around the next couple of years, like knowing like, okay, like the way my political brain works is like, okay, I know I have a midterm election in a a year because we're in 2021, midterms is next year. Let's be clear. The stakes are just too high. And when we start thinking about, you know, Shannon alluded to this earlier. And then I also talked about this like anxiousness of the window of time that we have here in the next couple of years to really, really kind of figure out our next move. Like I have a mentor that says, make your next move your best move. And I think about that when I'm thinking about the strategy that Black people who identify as Democrat, progressive, or whatever you identify as, which you know this, this is not it. 2022 is in less than 10 months. 2022 is in less than 10 months. We have elections again in less than 10 months, congressional races, governor's races. So a lot of the races that will impact what Shannon was just talking about when you go to look up who your state representatives are. And then right after 2022, we are preparing once again to go back to determine who would be president of these United States in the next two years. So when we talk about this like two to five year window, the stakes are so high that I have to bet. I almost have no choice but to bet on us and this generation and the leaders of these of, of our generation to do things differently and hold each other accountable in a way that we can't afford to get caught up in conflict, but we can probably just afford to figure out our lanes and occupy them well and do what we need to do to win. So I'll um, go into this particular part. You talked a little bit, Deshauna, about 20... 20- 22 midterm elections, 2024. And I think the realization that comes to me, which has always been there, but hopefully the tribe gets it. In the words of Nipsey, this is a marathon. It's not a race. We will always be in fight mode. We will always be in battle mode. So what do you think that we now as Black women Deshauna and Shannon, getting ready for the next battle, the next race to continue the marathon as Black people, the community. What do we have to be most specific about right now? And how do we collaborate together, like Shannon said earlier, about not worrying about what everybody else is doing, but staying focused in what we want to do and on our numbers? I think we could continue to do what we've always done. To answer your question of what we can do differently, 
I think that we need to allow the people that know what they're doing and who've been in these communities working for years from the ground up, who's been tracking what's happening and what is, you know, having these relationships, not with the community, earning their trust, but also very being mindful of what the opposition is building and what they're going to do, allow them to lead. And I think we need to figure out, you know, allow them to take charge, allow them to lead and be willing to take their lead, to follow the instructions and go and move as they need us to do it. Because organizing is not going to be something new for Black women. We do it all the time. It comes to us naturally. We lead naturally. We're natural born leaders. But I think like this time is calling for us to like operate as a collective in like a different way. Like I almost see us like as a unit, like a militant force almost. Like, you know, this is now war because like, you know, Shannon broke down, like there is, it's really just a fight for what the next couple of years are going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. We now know how important governance is. Right. Especially after going through a Trump presidency. So for me, I would say, like, let's do what we've always been doing, but let's get better. I would say I don't know what Shannon has to add to that. And just to sum up what you said, I think that I got from it is staying in our lane. Know your position, know your place, and allow the right people to lead us again into victory. Last but not least, of course, because this will be a continuous conversation for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. We have so often heard the phrase, hold our elected officials accountable. How do we really hold them accountable? And I know we talked about reparations and things like that, but the small task of contacting our political leaders that we have now elected as a community, what should our message be? Your message every time you talk to somebody who's supposed to be representing you is what you need. And most often, these elected officials are not doing what we need, mostly because we haven't told them. If I'm just really honest, like, you know, you remember when we went to D.C., what was that, 2019? Mm-hmm. Remember, they hadn't started talking about that 3% raise yet, right? That right. shit's in the backdrop. And we decided that we was going to run in all of Susan Collins. We, we was on everybody who mattered. Everybody who had the power to make sure the federal employees were going to get that 3 4%, we said it to them. And it's because we said it to them and went back to your union and said, y'all need to say it to them some more too, right? That that happened. But it doesn't happen without us actually talking to these folks. When we say hold them accountable, It's, have they heard your name from your mouth? Have they heard your needs from your mouth? Are you just relying on an organization that speaks about your needs to tell them? Or have you told them? And you should do both. You should have an organization that you know is advocating for what you need. And then you should also at least one time tell them what you need. State, local, federal, anybody who's supposed to represent you. They need to know from you at least once. I don't even call mine as much anymore, I'm be honest, but that's because I do the goddamn systematic one. I'm going to go talk to like 30 of their asses. I ain't going to talk to just mine. You understand? You could join people like me and be like, I'm going to talk to all 30 of these motherfuckers that got the power. And I said it like that. They got the power to fix this, right? I'm going to make sure they know what we need. And that's what holding your electeds accountable is. And when they don't do what you need, you give them a little hell and you vote them out. Vote them out. Yep. Oh, I want to reject the notion of fight, 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 fight. And not just because the Republicans just pulled that bullshit. I just want to right. reject the notion that we aren't allowed peace. That literally, as a Black woman that organizes, I organize for my people to have a peaceful community. Uh-huh. I organize so that my community can have joy, right? That, like, the purpose of the work is to bring about joy. So you just can't do it all from a fight place. And I just, we were in such an unsustainable existence before the pandemic came in. And the pandemic is giving us an opportunity to read, and we don't always feel it because we still have bosses and like they still got the same stupid ass culture that they had before the pandemic. You know, like, but it's going to be our internal decision that we want a different culture, that we only want to work 28 hours a week and we want that to be a living wage, right? We're going to make that decision. And then we're going to demand this system gives us that thing because we no longer want to work like that, right? So I want to give us permission, all of us, to reevaluate how much time you want to devote to struggle, how much time you want to devote to joy and fight to have both. Do not let people 
do or ask for your joy time. You're yep. going to fight for that. Like your fight is to carve out joy time that no one is allowed to touch. No struggle in this America. No struggle on the other side of the world. You understand? Mm-hmm. I want us right now, as we try to figure out climbing out of this, to really help define what a good life really is. How much sleep is a good life? How much I don't have to do shit a boss asking me time is a good life? Yeah. Like really, really reevaluate and define it for yourself. Stop letting this crazy system that says this is how many hours you got to work to make six figures. You know, like just please, God, for yourself, for us, for us all, inside yourself, make it an exercise. What is truly a good life? I want to die old and happy and not broke and not stressed out. So I know I will be fighting for a serious retirement system in this fucking country. And I'm not playing with them because I'm going to be old and happy and I'm not working until I die. I refuse. I'm actually making that declaration and I'm telling this here United States, I refuse to work till I die and you will create a retirement system that says I'm not. And it won't be based on fucking Wall Street. Yeah. Mm. That my, my decision for peace is actually what I'm going to be fighting for. Wow. Yeah. And I wish we could have you on to close out all of our episodes with just that boom. Oh. All of that because I swear even in the Black Woman in the Vote, like your last words (laughs) just hit me. I definitely want to thank both of you ladies for coming on with us again, following up after joining us with the Black Woman and her vote series in season one. And here you are again, talking all things election politics and community and how we move forward. I definitely want to leave the tribe with some highlights of what was said that stuck out to me, which was we tribe left have a greater sense of compassion for each other in our community, your brothers and sisters, sisters, your sisters, and how you treat each other, but also for yourself. We're going through a lot. We have a lot of work to do. And you cannot give your full self to the movement, to anything that we have talked about on this podcast, if you don't have that compassion for yourself. Also, really think about the things that we talked about. We talked about the Black agenda. We talked about the issues. But what issues really matter to you as an individual? What issues matter to you as a family? What issues should matter to you? What should you be paying attention to? Read. Pick up a book. Pick up a paper. Those things. Those educate yourself, friend. Truly. Truly. We talk about actually moving from moments to movements. You have to educate yourself. And it's not going to happen just in Clubhouse. Deshauna said that. Talk to people. Talk to your community. Have conversation. That's what matters, right? And it's all about uplifting the Black experience, as Shannon said. That's what it boils down to. So again, thanks for joining us for this tribe meeting and we will see you at the next tribe meeting tribe. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you tribe for attending this tribe meeting. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button on whatever platform you are joining in from today. We upload every first and third Friday of every month on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn. Until next time, see you at the next tribe meeting.